Operation Confidence proudly presents America's Invisible Heroes radio talk show. Tune in weekly on Sundays from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Pacific time with your host, Consuela Mackey, co-host, U.S. Air Force veteran, Matt Davidson, announcer, Taylor Marcella, U.S. Army veteran and Strategies for Hope segment host, Dr. Kathy Cash, U.S. Army Reserve veteran and entertainment segment host, Charles Whitehead, U.S. Army Special Forces veteran, and I once was whole segment host, Richard Cook, U.S. Army veteran and lifeline for women's veterans segment host, Martha, Elena, Varela, National Faith Director, Chaplain, and Veterans and Recovery segment host, Anthony Akinpora, and U.S. Air Force veteran and incarcerated to success segment host, Kevin Lewandowski. For more information or to be a guest on our show, email info at operationconfidence.org. Operation Confidence is a grassroots nonprofit. The organization's mission is to provide stable housing for veterans who have experienced homelessness, as well as providing a wide range of supportive services. To help accomplish our goal, a successful landowner has donated land for the project, a world-renowned architect has offered to design the houses, and construction classes from the local community colleges will take part in building the houses. Your support and donations are needed. To get involved, please visit our website at www.operationconfidence.org or email info at operationconfidence.com. Okay, well, welcome everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Americans Invisible Heroes, a show dedicated to our veterans and their families. Yes, I'm your host, Consuela Mackey, Executive Director of a grassroots nonprofit organization called Operation Confidence. No, I'm not a veteran, but my heart goes out to our American heroes, especially veterans who are disabled and may have experienced homelessness. For those who are new to the show, American Invisible Heroes was created to provide a platform for our veterans and their families to be able to share their heartfelt stories, resources, challenges, and accomplishments. Now, board member Taylor Marcella will introduce our guests, hosts, I'm sorry, our co-hosts and guests for today. Take it away, Taylor. Um, we have U.S. Air Force veteran Matt Davison, who is a board vice president, uh, U.S. Army Reserve veteran Charles Whitehead. We have U.S. Navy veteran Calvin Pohl and his monthly segment, Blind Veterans Helping Blind Veterans. And lastly, we have Anne Monahue with her bi-monthly segment, The Rosie's Movement. Matt, take it away. Okay, I want to begin by crediting Rose Thayer of Stars and Stripes for this commentary. Benetol was involved in 88% of the deaths of service members who overdosed on illicit drugs in 2021. This is a steep increase in five years, according to Defense Department data provided to Congress. Our military is not immune to the opioid epidemic, said Senator Edward Markey. The Department of Defense latest report underscores the urgency of this moment and our need to ensure access to quality care and treatment 
without stigma or shame. Five years ago, the synthetic drug was involved in 36% of troop overdose deaths, according to Pentagon data. Markey and the other senators requested data on overdoses from the Defense Department in September and last week received 12 page, pages from the Pentagon officials that included statistics and prevention efforts from 2017 to 2021. 15,293 service members overdosed on drugs and alcohol and 332 died. More than half of those who died had taken phenytol, a synthetic opioid that is more potent than morphine. The report founded phenytol uh, as an approved pain medication being produced and sold illegally that is killing about 70,000 Americans each year. President Joe Biden said earlier this month in his State of the Union speech, increasingly, fentanyl is mixed with other Ill illicit drugs or used to replace another drug entirely so that users are expecting something else. And this has led to a rise in deaths from drugs nationwide according to the National Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Military officials determined service members accidentally overdosed in 84% of the deaths. Just 12% of the deaths were thought to be suicides. Every drug overdose is preventable, is a preventable loss of life we must work to do better. Under Secretary of Defense for Personal and Readiness, Gilbert Cisneros wrote in his latest letter to senators, the department continues to evaluate, refine and improve strategies for overdose prevention to ensure we are making every effort to prevent these through their service, the Defense Department said. The Army, which is the largest of the service branches, saw the most overdose deaths during the five-year period, the slight decrease from 36 deaths in 2017 to 35 in 2021, according to the Defense Department. However, the Navy and the Marine Corps saw a number of deaths in each service doubled. 11 sailors died in 2017 and 21 died in 2021. The Marines lost five sailors in 2017 and 10 in 2021. The Air Force saw overdose deaths increase from nine to 11. The senators requested the data after reading a story in the September issue of Rolling Stone magazine that raised concerns about overdose deaths among soldiers at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Fort Bragg lost 31 soldiers in five years to overdoses. 
the highest of any installation mentioned in the Pentagon report. The Defense Department told senators that the rate of overdose deaths during the five-year period is higher in North Carolina than anywhere else. 36 deaths per 100,000 active duty service members. Washington State had the next highest rate of 29.5 deaths yes. per 100,000 troops, followed by Texas with 28.6. Cisneros told senators that the Pentagon's effort to prevent overdose deaths are focused on integrating all drug-related data, including <laughs> fatal, non-fatal drug overdoses to ensure timely data monitoring and improve coordination, messaging, treatment intervention, and promote readiness. This is without a doubt, a very serious problem yeah. that the military is facing. And we are hopeful that they'll get a handle on it soon and this overdose uh, and use of illicit drugs will stop. Matt, I may have missed it. Are they getting the drugs from off the street or are they being administered through, through uh, prescription? How are they getting it? How are they getting it? Uh-huh. Off the, is it street drugs? Well, they, they can get it. Uh, oh, there's people in the street selling it. That's there's drugstores yeah, carrying it. Yeah. Oh, that's so horrible. That's terrible. It's very easy to, to get. It's is it really? I wouldn't know. But uh, that's some phenomenal information. Mm. Do you have anyone, I mean, any numbers, on, any phone numbers or contact information? You know, I don't have any of that. But uh, there's a senator, and I, I imagine you probably have to be in his state. His name is Edward Markey. And he mm -hmm. is pretty much in charge of what's going on in in the Senate right now to see to this. Okay. I would just type in phenytoin, uh, drug addiction, military, and see what comes up. Right. We'll post that on our website too. Yeah. Well, as always, you got some great information. Thank you Thank so you. much. We'll talk soon. Okay. <laughs> I know you have to go. Okay. Yep. Okay, though. Bye bye. Tell Ann I say bye. I will do it. Okay. Bye. Taylor, take it away to Ann Montague. Ann Montague returned to West Virginia after working in other states and internationally. She received two MA degrees without having to finish um, the BA based on professional level research, writing, and contribution. After an MA from Harvard University, she was a partner in a Boston area firm commercializing technology. She founded a nonprofit organization that worked with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to find technologies to clean and use sediments from navigable waters. She is recognized for her good ideas and to work to bring them to reality. Her mother, a Rosie. Um, and grandfather, wait, her mother, a rosy mother, a rosy, 
and then grandfather and one room teacher and carpenter on the C&O railroads influenced and to create <clears throat> ways for people to do quality work cooperatively, such as the Rosie the Riveter project. And take it away. All right, thank you so much. Um, folks, uh, what I'm gonna do today is um, give you the draft of a photograph um, series, series of photographs that I'm beginning to put together to thank the many, many, many people who have helped us as we have essentially worked 15 years to find, get to know, and literally do projects, work with American Rosie the Riveter. So these women, or the women who worked on the home front in World War II, um, as Taylor just said, one of those was my mother. And mother um, worked in a factory where she could dress up. She didn't have to wear um, essentially overalls and that sort of thing. And um, now what we're doing this year is on May 10th, we will be celebrating um, the uh, freedom in Europe with the Netherlands Embassy in um, Washington, DC, actually in Arlington. And then we will be celebrating in Philadelphia with the chapel of the four chaplains. Now, before we do that, and while we're preparing to do that, we want to um, start thanking people like Consuela. So I'm gonna pull up a document here. Um, uh, can you- uh, I, I didn't make <laughs> Charles, can you uh, make sure that I can get onto um, screen? I just did. Oh, did you? Okay. Let me try it again. Okay. Um, I believe this is it. I'm not sure. Just a minute a second. Um, so, now that's just one picture, but we'll, we'll go, I'll go back and find. This is uh, Rosie, uh, Ruth Staples. This is an excellent example of how the women did everything you can imagine. And in that newspaper article that she's holding there, she worked on the um, railroad and she was um, essentially a laborer on the railroad doing everything from um, helping to repair the rails to putting the cinders down to cleaning out the different railroad cars and that sort of thing. And of course, railroads were incredibly important through World War II. One of the wonderful things about Ruth is how uh, humble she was. And I'm uh, not going to avoid using, in this uh, series of thank yous, I'm not going to avoid using Rosies who are deceased because we have to recognize that most of the women are gone now, even though we typically, when we work with uh, your group here, Consuela, we, we almost always have a living Rosie. Oh, and that was so amazing. They were just phenomenal. We uh, still uh, have a few. Go ahead. We still have a few of the roses to come on. We definitely still have a few. Yeah, and they're so amazing. Yeah, and let me, what I want to do is show you the, I had one document, um, that was minimized and instead of showing 
why am I seeing many documents here? Charles, maybe you can tell me that here. I think I found it. M-I-N-I? There we go. All right, so I'm going to start from the front, and I want you to know this is just a draft, but I want you all to have any input that you can. This first young woman here is now 14. She's in ninth grade. She's extremely shy. She has a form of dyslexia that um, keeps her from being able to read, and you can see what a fine person she is. Now, the really special part of the story is that when she was seven, she rang the first bell for Rosie's, and uh, and um, that that's a, quite a story. And even though she can't read, she's applying for uh, essentially permission through the Girl Scouts to write a book. That'd be wonderful when she does that. Um, the second picture here is of Bill Kamer. You all met. Uh, he's been on your program, but that's Bill Kamer when he was um, essentially the MC for us at an event in Washington on August 15th called the Rosie Summit. The woman on the left there is uh, the Dean of Public Affairs at American University. You recognize this person here, I know. <laughs> you always stick that picture up there. I have a whole list of, I mean, a whole series of pictures of you all, and I would really like to put those in there, but I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that it's effective to use more than one. This next one I just love because this woman is so shy. You know, we really try to include a variety of people. And this particular woman is Mennonite. And- uh, You can see her, we always see her as a table setting. Yes, that's right. She she would not let me take her picture. But okay. you, you see, she, she uh, came from the farm into a city apartment hosted me for a night so that I could get to Washington, D.C. on February 12th. And she had these fresh tulips, and that is the table she had set for me. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, and she was a Rosie? No, no, she's oh. Mennonite. So I'm telling you that this is a quiet and peace-loving um, religious sect that is um, still, even though they're essentially what I would call pacifists, they are still um, very much respecting our work, and I'm really pleased at that. Down here is Anna Hess. I'll cry when I tell about Anna. Anna has been a mainstay for us for years. She went to the Netherlands with us twice. I could write a book about her. And um, you can see in this picture that um, this um woman who's in front of her is so respecting her that Anna now, she refused to get um, cataract surgery. So she's almost blind in one eye. She's had open heart surgery and she is not part of our activities anymore. But this woman is a very typical Rosie. She was 15 at the beginning of the war when she was, um, when they went to church they found that the war had begun and they didn't even know it because they didn't have running water or electricity uh, living on a farm. For whatever it's worth, um, she was able to uh, go to Akron, Ohio, where her mother made airplanes and she made truck tires in World War II. She's an incredible worker. 
uh, almost six feet tall, I would guess, well, uh, 5'11". In any event, the point is that she, um, she worked in a dress factory or a shirt factory for 37 years. She has what's equivalent of black lung disease, but it's white lung from the dust uh, in the, you know, the fabric dust. Then she drove, uh, she delivered uh, enterprise rent-a-cars for something like seven years. And uh, then she worked with us five years and she, she just basically is not able anymore. This makes the point that these women are real workers. They're really devoted to America. Her husband was a fireman and her son was a um, policeman, uh, but they're fading. So this is a point that we really want to make. This next mm -hmm. picture here, I won't do belabor that. We had a uh, guest a couple of weeks ago, um, um, excuse me, Soon Vega, uh, but she's the photographer who took this picture of people signing banners. So one of the things people can do is just basically put a permanent banner and especially if you can find the women who are still living uh, to thank, uh, to have them sign it as well. And then you have something to really treasure. This is um, the youngest person on our board. He came to us when he was 16 and he's the first teen to receive an award from us for being the first uh, teen in America uh, to essentially be a model for other teens to know about the Rosies. This picture down here is not particularly good picture, but it makes the point that the dogwood tree was a tree that the women chose to best represent them, partly for Christian reasons, but for other reasons. And the fellow there uh, with these two roses is Tim Wilson, who is uh, very, very ill right at this moment and probably won't be able to be involved with us again. This picture is of... Um, um, Tony Fowler, he's retired from the U.S. Department of Education, and he's on our team to try to find schools across America that will name classrooms for American Rosie the Riveters and really learn the history of, of the Rosies. Um, this fellow on the left here is Wilford Hutzelbach, H-U-L-Z-E-B-O-S-C-H. I did it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he's the communications director for the Embassy of the Netherlands. And this picture here is a picture of the, a dogwood tree that they planted in 2015. At the very moment they planted this tree, uh, another tree was being planted in the Netherlands at the very same moment. And I was there with three roses. And um, finally now, uh, this is a picture of a son of a Rosie, same as our own uh, lamb. Uh, his mother was the woman who was present the first time we rang bells for Rosie's. Her name was Bobby and she worked in Baltimore. And this particular picture was taken last a year ago, um, Labor, uh, Labor Day, um, two years ago in 2021, when we were hosted by the National Naval History Museum with um, various really special speakers. And um, he did not know that we were going to play um, a recording of him calling me and telling me of his mother's death. So oh, one, of things, one of the things I'd like from the group here is any suggestions that you have 
to make this much stronger and much less uh, just, you know, it's pretty much a hodgepodge right now. I don't know if it needs a theme. I think if, if, it, if it has a theme, it should just be showing the people who have pulled together of all different types. And this is just a small example. But uh, another- I think what you're doing is beautiful. You shouldn't change anything. Uh, well, what does the group think? Because if, if I'm able to, um, excuse me, if I'm able to get a theme across, <clears throat> I believe it should be unity. This is what the Rosies say. They don't want to be known for making the atomic bomb. Some of them are kind of proud of it, but mostly when you say, what do you really, really think the Rosies were about? They say, we pulled together. We did highest quality work. Nothing shabby was done. Um, and um, as a matter of fact, they pulled off the line if it was. But to pull together, to do highest quality work, to do it in a spirit of cooperation, and because if we don't do that, then we, we are not living up to our freedom. We are not perpetuating freedom. And uh, Consuela and her group here, uh, I cannot tell you how much you all mean to me because I think you make the point uh, over and over and over again that people really love the roses, but most important, they realize that we, we've got to work together so this We're is just happy to be involved you have a lot of more pictures explain the ringing of the bell with only me standing there we had several of our team oh, I, I, I probably should put all the people in there I just, yeah i just wanted to feature you actually to be very honest but well, that bell ringing is a ceremony within itself the dates mm -hmm. are and if anybody's going to be in D.C. on May 10th, let me know, because we're going to be the Caroline. Uh, it's a absolutely gorgeous um, uh, tower of bells given to the given to the United States by the Netherlands uh, to thank Americans for helping us liberate the Netherlands in World War II. And, and this is Rosie the Riveters and yours is the Rosie's movement, right? Yeah. It's right. the American, American Rosie movement. We started 